The scripture reading for this morning is from Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, we're in between series this morning and, uh, and next as well, so I decided to take the opportunity this morning to preach on prayer and specifically how the Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. Romans 8 is uh, probably most famous for the way that it begins and the way that it ends. Romans 8 begins with no condemnation. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it ends with no separation. What shall separate us from the love of Christ, right? But in the middle, Romans 8 is all about our desperation and how the Holy Spirit helps us in our desperation. So in verse 26, when Paul says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, he's just summing up everything that he's been saying about the Spirit's help throughout the rest of the chapter, or the chapter prior to that, or the part of the chapter prior to that. So earlier in the chapter, it had to do with the Spirit's help for us when it comes to our fear of death. And then he talked about the Spirit's help when it comes to our battle with sin. And then he talked about the Spirit's help when it comes to our, um, you know, our our uh, our need for His grace and uh, and all the ways in which He He helps us. And then this morning, here in this part of the passage, he talks about our weakness in prayer and our need for help. And so the focus this morning is on our weakness in prayer, specifically when it comes to how we understand and pray for ourselves. This is not a sermon, therefore, about what to say to God in prayer. It's a sermon about who you are before God in prayer, weak and in need of help. The temptation is to give up and lose heart And stop praying because of our weakness. God feels distant, our minds get distracted, and we flip into self-condemnation rather than crying out to God for help. But what do we lose when we lose heart? What are we missing when we miss the help that God has gone to great lengths to give us? We miss a lot. Prayer rightly understood and most deeply enjoyed, is nothing less than fellowship with the Father in his Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. The triune God has conspired together for nothing less than your full enjoyment of him in prayer. That is a reality in prayer that we often miss. And so I want to talk this morning about that reality, and we'll consider it under the following three headings. First, the invitation to reality in prayer. Second, the doorway to reality in prayer. And then third, the good news about reality in prayer. But first, let's pray.
Heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, I pray that you would be with us. I pray that as we look at your word and as your spirit uh, is active among us and, and within those of you who name, those of us who name you as our Savior, oh Lord, would you please be working in our hearts? Would you help us to confess before you the, the things that we really love, the ways in which we hide from you rather than fleeing into your presence? And oh Lord, would you, by your grace, help us to more and more experience what you have given prayer to be, a means by which we enjoy fellowship with you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. So first, the invitation to reality in prayer. Let's, let's ask the question, what is prayer? A few definitions, the uh, Westminster Lord, Larger Catechism, question 178, answers the question, what is prayer, like this. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ, by the help of his spirit, with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. The New City Catechism, which a number of our kids are, are learning, and I hope a number of us adults are as well. Uh, question 38 of the New, New City Catechism, what is prayer, answers the question this way. Prayer is pouring out our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin, and thanksgiving. And it's reflecting passages of scripture like Psalm 62, verse 8. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Or James 4, 8 that says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. J.I. Packer in his uh, little book, Concise Theology, which I always like to take an opportunity to recommend. Uh, J.I. Packer in Concise Theology says this about prayer. God made us and redeemed us for fellowship with himself, and that is what prayer is. Jesus tells us that we are privileged. We have the unimaginable privilege of being able to address God as our Father. So in the Lord's Prayer, he instructs us to pray Pray this way, our Father who is in heaven. Now, of course, on Father's Day, it's, it's appropriate to acknowledge that none of us have had perfect fathers. None of us are perfect fathers. But some of us have experienced a father who was nothing like the Father in heaven. That's true now. It has always been true. And so Martin Luther, when he was giving instructions to people on how to pray, he encouraged them to begin like this. Addressing God, although you could rightly and properly be a severe judge over us sinners, now through your mercy, implant in our hearts a comforting trust in your fatherly love and let us experience the sweet and pleasant savor of a childlike certainty that we may joyfully call you Father, knowing and loving you and calling on you in every trouble." What a wonderful reminder. That sets us up to answer the next question. If we've answered the question, you know, at least in part, what is prayer? Let's ask the question, what is the reality into which God is inviting you in prayer? And what I want to say is this. God is inviting you to pray in the reality of who you are before a loving Father who meets you there with his mercy and grace. God is inviting you to pray in the reality of who you are before a loving Father who meets you there 
with his mercy and grace. Now again, when we think of prayer, we so often think about what we are doing in prayer or who we are praying for or what we are praying for. But remember, we are also invited in prayer to pray for ourselves and and to acknowledge who we are before this God who sees and knows us anyway. And so again, the focus this morning is on that aspect of prayer, of bringing ourselves before God in prayer, of relying on the Spirit's help, the Spirit who is guiding us in prayer, who, who knows the will of God concerning our hearts in prayer and invites us into the reality of who we are before God. That is what we're focusing on this morning. Now, I want you to later today, perhaps, um, read Hebrews 3 and Hebrews 4. Maybe today, throughout this week, sometime, take a look at it, because it, it, it reinforces what's happening here in this text when it comes to our hearts before God in prayer and what God is inviting us into and has given us his spirit to help us do. So, I'm just going to give you the, you know, the, the Cliff Notes version of second half of of uh, Hebrews 3 and, and Hebrews 4. After talking about Moses, the beginning of Hebrews chapter 3, the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95. Psalm 95 speaks of the rest that those who hardened their hearts in the wilderness at the time of the Exodus failed to enter into. And then the author of Hebrews turns and he warns his readers, and so that's us down to this very day, against an unbelieving heart that causes us to fail to enter God's rest. He speaks there, that famous passage, about the word of God that's living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting to the division of joint and marrow, exposing the thought and the intentions of the heart. So here he's saying, guard yourself against that hardened, unbelieving heart. The word of God is instrumental in preventing that from happening. The word of God cuts down deep and exposes the thoughts and intentions of your heart. And then the author of Hebrews turns and talks about Jesus. He says, Jesus is the great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he has been tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. Therefore, the author of Hebrews goes on to say, with confidence we may draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. How do we draw near? We draw near in prayer. When do we draw near? In time of need. What kind of need? Any kind of need. But remember the context. When the word of God is exposed to the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We may with confidence draw near and find mercy for us in that time of need. In other words, what the author of Hebrews is saying is this, that whenever the truth about your heart is exposed by God's word, so that not just your actions, but the thoughts and intentions, the the who you are when no one is watching, the why you do that nobody sees, when, when that aspect of who you are is brought to the fore, you can with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Who sits on that throne of grace? The very one who in Jesus calls us his children. 
the very one whom Jesus has instructed us to address in prayer as Father. God is inviting you to pray in the reality of who you are in the presence of who he is. The Heavenly Father, whose love is unfailing, whose mercy is new every morning, whose grace is sufficient for every need. What keeps us from experiencing that reality in prayer? Our weakness. That's what Paul's talking about back in in Romans chapter 8. In verse 26, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And we'll come back to the second half of that verse in a minute, but, but note what he said at the beginning. We do not know what to pray for as we ought. There are any number of things that we simply don't know the mind of God concerning. There are things we can always pray for. We can pray for God to be glorified. We can pray for his, his church to be strengthened, for his gospel to advance. There are any number of things we know we can be praying for, but there are so many things concerning which we do not know the mind of God. And so this passage gives us comfort. The Spirit himself intercedes for us. But this passage points us to another weakness that we have. It's not just that we don't know the mind of God, it's that we also do not know our own hearts. And so in verse 27 we read, and he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. We'll come back to that idea of the mind of the Spirit in the third point. The point for now is we don't know our hearts. We need God to search our hearts so that we can better pray. And specifically for this morning, pray in the reality of who we are. Again, this isn't a sermon about praying for other people. Right now, this is just us before God needing to enjoy more fully the fellowship that he's inviting us into in prayer. God knows we are weak. God knows the things we don't want to admit about ourselves. He knows we doubt his heart toward us in Christ. And so he invites us to pray. He invites us to pray in the reality of who we are, in the presence of who he is, a loving father who in Christ welcomes us with mercy and grace. So let's turn second to the the doorway into reality in prayer. On, On God's side, Christ has opened the door wide open. When when do we tend to go through that door? Well, most frequently, it's when we're facing some trial. It's when we're suffering. It's when we're experiencing hardship. It's when we're we're experiencing temptation that we're having a hard time overcoming. It's, It's all, you know, relational difficulties. All these things, circumstantially, tend to drive us through that door that God has opened. But what about when things are going pretty good? And you're praying. And what so frequently happens when you're, praying, but it's not in a time of like suffering and stress and hardship. We get distracted. I mean, maybe I'm the only one, but my, ten- my mind tends to get distracted in prayer. If there's not something that's driving me to my knees in desperation, and I'm just seeking to pray because God calls us to pray, and I, I believe that he wants to meet us in prayer and-, and-, and enable us to know fellowship with him, 
And yet, in my flesh, because I'm weak, my mind gets distracted. Now, I tend to, when that happens, flip into self-condemnation. Maybe you do as well. If I were a stronger Christian, I wouldn't get distracted when I pray. I could just stay focused in my praying because I love Jesus so much. And then I beat myself up and I stop praying. I read a book recently I want to recommend to you. Um, the title of the book is Where Prayer Becomes Real. The authors are Kyle Strobel and John Coe. He has a number of questions. Both of them pose a number of questions in the book, the chapter headings. And, and one of the chapters, the, the chapter heading, the question is this. What if your wandering mind is a gift? I thought there's no way. A wandering mind in prayer could possibly be a gift. But listen to this quote. Instead of seeing a wandering mind as a failure to pray as we ought, coming back to Romans chapter 8, verse 26, instead of seeing a wandering mind as a failure to pray as we ought, we should see this as an opportunity to pray about the deep longings of our souls. Mind wandering is a gift. By it, the Lord shows us the treasures of our heart. It's building on what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when you're praying and your mind begins to wander, what's it wandering to? Some reflection of what your heart really treasures in that moment. So what does that look like for me? I tend to prize far too much getting things done. I love my to-do list. And so I'm in prayer in the morning, and what happens? I begin to think about those three things that I forgot to write down that I needed to get done. What do I tend to do? Get up off my knees, walk over to my desk, write those three things down, and then try to go back to prayer. Now, might it be possible that the Spirit of God who dwells in me that is seeking me to better bring my petitions before the Lord, acknowledge my heart before him, and experience more of what it means to be in fellowship with him, might it be that what he is actually doing in that moment is bringing to the surface the, the, the true things that I love in that moment more than Jesus? I mean, either that or those three things are so vitally important that the Holy Spirit wants to make sure I don't forget to do those things. Mark, it would be better if you stop praying right now because you need to write those things down that, you'll, you know, that won't make any difference in the grand scheme of things by tomorrow. Now, my, my hunch is it's the former. The Holy Spirit is saying, okay, Mark, your mind is wandering. Let's explore that for a minute. Maybe what you treasure more than Jesus is a sense of accomplishment at the end of the day. Maybe you find your worth more in getting things done than you are in being loved by the one who did the most important thing for you, which is go to the cross, that you might be reconciled to him. Maybe that's what the Holy Spirit who indwells me and is seeking to help me pray in my weakness is seeking to do such that in that moment, that wandering mind of mine can actually be a doorway that distraction can be a doorway into deeper fellowship with my Heavenly Father. So rather than getting up and, and you know, grabbing yet another post-it note, I, I'm keeping them in business, by the way, yet another post-it note to write down something that won't matter in 24 hours, maybe in that moment I could say, Heavenly Father, here I am. 
I, I just spent time thinking about those things I think I need to get done. That is such a reflection of my heart and about the things that I really treasure more than you. I confess that to you, Father. Please forgive me for failing to see the great benefit that I enjoy as your child. Holy Spirit, thank you for bringing that to mind. Thank you for bringing that up from the, you know, beneath the surface so that I could acknowledge that before my Heavenly Father. Lord Jesus, thank you for going to the cross knowing all of this and so much more about me. And Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me and adopting me into your family. Help me to live in the reality of who I am in Christ before you. Help me to more deeply believe that there's nothing better than that. Maybe your wandering mind is a gift. If you'll go through that doorway and I'll let the Spirit of God reveal more of what really in that moment you are treasuring. Another zinger from the book, what we believe about God reveals itself in how we pray. Eek. Like the way you pray actually says something about how you think about God and your relationship with him. In our flesh, we are tempted to hide from God. We think of God as perpetually disappointed with us because we get distracted in prayer or because we've given up on prayer. Your wandering mind can be a gift. By grace, you're invited to move toward God in prayer, in the truth of who you are and the truth of who you are. Your wandering mind, rather than being an obstacle to prayer, can in fact be a doorway into deeper fellowship with God. Third, let's look at the good news about reality and prayer, and it's this. We have help. We have help. Look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. That that one word, help, just four letters in the English, English language, is actually a compound word in Greek made up of three words. It's the, the prefix sim, as in symphony, kind of together. It's the word over against, and it also includes the word to take. So the idea, the meaning, more lit, you know, literally, is to, to take something over against one another. Now, what do you do with that? The idea is to lend help. It's to give a hand by taking hold of part of the load that someone else is carrying. You know, so um, our, our mower broke down uh, earlier this week and I needed my son's help. We, bar- we borrowed the church mower, just FYI. I let the deacons know, but in case you're curious, one of the push mowers out there, I'd said at my house right now if you're looking for it, I need to borrow it because I don't have time to fix my mower this week before I leave town tomorrow. And I, I, I knew it would be really, I'd be likely to hurt my back if I tried to lift that mower up myself and put it in the back of our car. So I asked my son to come over. He helped me over against the load. He took one end, I took the other, and together we lifted it up into the car. That's the idea of what the Holy Spirit does with us when it comes to those burdens that we carried in with us this morning. The disappointment, the discouragement, the sadness, the loss, the sense of hopelessness, all these burdens that are too heavy for us to carry, God has given his spirit to help take the load because we're weak. The spirit helps us in our 
weakness. The Holy Spirit has been given to take the other end with you, as it were. The groans, therefore, are the heart's expression of the Spirit's intercession. So when the, when the text says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. That's not talking about the Spirit's groanings. The third person of the Trinity doesn't groan with lack of understanding because he can't find the words. The third person of the Trinity knows the mind of God. He is God. The groanings aren't his. The groanings are ours. He's the one making intercession according to the will of God. Ours is the groaning. But God has given the Spirit to come alongside our groanings to make intercession. The Spirit is praying for you. The requests are his. They accord with the will of God for your life. But the groans are yours. In fact, in God's grace, the only reason you groan is because the Spirit of God dwells in you. God intercedes by his Spirit for the saints, the text tells us. Apart from the prior work of the Spirit, our groaning would not have a Godward orientation. And so that in of itself is a gift that our groaning is toward God. But in those moments when we don't know what to say, in reality what's happening is the Spirit is coming alongside, interceding for us before the Father, the one who knows the mind of God, is praying to God even as we groan, helping to carry that burden along with us to the throne of grace. A throne that's open to us through Jesus and faith in him. When it comes to receiving God's invitation in prayer, an invitation into reality to come as we are in prayer, we are, listen, get this, we are actually joining the Spirit of God in how He is already praying for us. Praying in reality is joining Not just the Spirit of God dwelling within us, but Jesus Christ, who's at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us. Read the rest of Romans 8, and you'll get that. (laughs) Jesus knows our heart and is praying for you, that you would grow in your ability to enjoy fellowship with God, because that is what prayer fundamentally baseline is, an invitation to fellowship with the Father. The Spirit of God knows the burdens that you're carrying in your heart and is lifting them up even as you groan. The, the Son of God is at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. Praying in reality is just joining God in how you are already being prayed for. God invites you to know him as Father in the places of your heart that you try to hide. Those are the very places where God already knows you And in Christ, through faith in Christ, accepts you as his child. Your wandering mind in prayer need not be an obstacle to prayer. It may rather be something that takes you deeper into fellowship with prayer as you acknowledge the things that in that moment you are treasuring more than fellowship with your father. Bring that out into the open. Confess it to the God who already knows you and loves you there. At that point of truth, Jesus died for you. And trust in the fact that God has given you his very spirit to help you do so. 
What happens? What happens as that happens in us as Christians? Well, you will pray more. I mean, we, we all know the need for prayer. We all know that individually we need to be praying more. We know that as a church we need to be praying more. The more that we enjoy fellowship with God in prayer, the more that we know that in prayer we can come to him as we are, knowing that the Spirit of God is given to help us in prayer, the Son of God is interceding at the right hand of the Father for us. The more we find that prayer is a delight, the more we'll want to pray. And by extension, the more we'll treasure praying with one another. So next week, we have an opportunity to hear from Lisa Persley, our missionary in Armenia. She'll be spending time with us Sunday evening for Kingdom Prayer, which will be here. It'll be a time to hear a report and to pray. And, and just think about what it would mean to, to know that, that prayer is actually an invitation to fellowship with my Father. I get to do that with my brothers and sisters also? Sign me up! Let's go together before this Father who loves us and accepts us and knows us and let's lay before Him our desire to see His kingdom and His gospel advance throughout the world. What a, what a joy, what a privilege. So when that happens, as, as we... Accept God's invitation to reality and prayer. Receive the help that he gives us by his spirit and just own who we are before him. We, we actually learn to delight in prayer. And as we delight in prayer, we delight in praying with one another. And, and as we delight in prayer, because we're coming before God just as we are and, and finding that in Christ he accepts us there, we actually become a different kind of people with one another. You see, as we are fully present to God, we can be fully present to one another. A different kind of culture can form here. A culture marked by the very same grace that we experience in our relationship with God through Christ. Prayer. Prayer. When I say pray, when God invites us to pray, Please do realize it's like the offer of a cool drink on a hot day. There's nothing better than fellowship in truth with the God of the universe who in Christ dies for you and wants fellowship with you so deeply that he's given his spirit to enable you to more fully do so until that day when we're with him face to face. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we, we know that prayer is a good thing. We know that it's a, the means by which you accomplish your purposes in the world. Lord, we know that, that we, we need to be praying more. Lord, these things, we, we, we are convicted by these things. We know that prayerlessness is a reflection, in fact, of unbelief. And yet, Father, we pray that you would help us to see, to turn away from our unbelief into this great, privilege of drawing near to you for fellowship. Thank you for the way in which you speak to us through your word, and thanking, thank you for, a way, for opening up a way for us to speak to you in prayer. And Lord, as this, this beautiful relationship forms along those two avenues, you speaking to us through your word, us speaking to you in prayer, we thank you for your spirit that is given that both of those together might actually lead to a sense of deeper fellowship on our part with you. 
Lord, may it be that out of love for you and an enjoyment of fellowship with you in prayer, we can't wait to pray. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.